Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, October 1st, and this is your FT News Briefing. The head of Moderna says the biotech group will not have a coronavirus vaccine ready before the U.S. presidential election. Japan still uses fax machines, so how will the economy gear up for a digital transformation? Plus, Warren Buffett once called gold a useless metal. Now he's among those driving up its price. We'll tell you why. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. November 25th, three weeks after the U.S. presidential election. That's the earliest Moderna could request vaccine authorization from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. That's according to the company's chief executive, Stefan Bonsell. Mr. Bonsell told the FT on Wednesday that he didn't expect to have full approval to distribute the drug to every American until next spring. It's bad news for Donald Trump. The president has said a vaccine could be ready before the election, even when his own scientific advisors say between April and June would be the earliest. Japan's new prime minister, Yoshihide Suga, wants Japan's economy to go digital. And some say this transformation is long overdue. Our Asia business editor, Leo Lewis, has been looking into the government's latest initiative. Suga became prime minister and within really 24 hours of uh, getting into the post, he had not only appointed a uh, digital transformation minister, but he'd given that minister orders to create a new ministry that would be in charge of digitizing the economy. Japan's bureaucracy is heavily dependent on paper. There are some quite old technologies. Fax machines still remains you know, a big part of many companies' operations and certainly parts of the bureaucracy. And then there's these physical stamps that are required on documents and which therefore you know, require a kind of physical presence as well that seems to have been hampering the country from making certain initiatives to speed things up with e-government and other areas of digitization where other countries have, have moved with greater speed. The private sector, of course, has got its own pace of digitization. And in fact, parts of the private sector had been moving very quickly or certainly accelerating their digital transformation projects anyway. I mean, this predates Mr. Suga becoming prime minister, but it predates COVID, which was also itself a a wake-up call to a lot of Japanese companies in terms of remote work and the extent to which they were able to manage their internal administration digitally. So it's been a theme for a while. I think the idea now is that the private sector will feel, right, we have no further excuse for dragging our feet on this. Leo, how does the decision by Japan's former state telecoms monopoly to take its mobile unit private play into Mr. Suga's digital agenda? So NTT, which is the former state telecoms monopoly that was privatized many decades ago, it then subsequently got its mobile subsidiary in the early 1990s and listed that separately in a structure that has certainly raised eyebrows in terms of governance. But what it announced uh, earlier this week was that it would pay roughly $40 billion to buy the sort of 33% in the mobile subsidiary that it doesn't already own and bring it back into the folds. Now, it does this at a time where Mr. Suga, the new prime minister, has made it very clear that one of his big projects will be to force a reduction in mobile fees in in Japan, being amongst the highest in the world. And that is going to be a measure, particularly, you know, when, when people are 
using their phones more under sort of COVID conditions. That is something that has been calculated to be a very popular move uh, that will make people feel uh, that little bit wealthier at a very difficult time. And when it's got the, the sort of the stamp of the prime minister on it, you know, it is something that is going to happen pretty soon. And Warren Buffett once called gold a useless metal. He apparently doesn't think so anymore. Investors, including Buffett, have been piling into gold during the pandemic. The price of the precious metal has roughly doubled this summer from where it was in 2018. It's now about $2,000 an ounce. Henry Sanderson is our metals and mining correspondent, and he's been following the COVID gold rush. Hey, Henry. Hi. So, Henry, can you remind us why gold tends to be so attractive during economic downturns? Yeah, so gold initially sells off when other assets are selling off by a big amount, as it did in March. But then people turn to gold because they see it as a safe haven asset, as something that can never be devalued by um, government printing presses and that holds its value throughout time. And that's because it's very hard to mine gold. Uh, There's only a limited amount coming out the ground every year. And all the gold that's ever been mined could probably fit into one sort of townhouse. It's a very interesting uh, picture you just painted. All the gold in the world can fit into a townhouse. I never really thought of it that way, but I think that's really a really nice way of putting it. Um, we've seen this year's rise in gold blow past what we saw in 2008, you know, during another economic downturn, of course. What are the new factors driving this price rise? Yeah, the new factors driving this year's price ride are the fall in bond yields and the rise in the number of negative yielding debt. And gold prices have followed very closely with real yields or the yield after taking into account inflation. And that's because gold doesn't provide any yield. So when you have you know negative yielding debt or a very low real yields, there's no sort of lost opportunity cost to holding gold. You're not missing out on any great yield from other assets. So that's why this year gold has been particularly popular. And the second thing is the rise in gold-backed exchange-traded funds. These are funds that trade on the stock exchange. You can buy them just like a stock, but they're backed by physical gold. But they just make the whole process of buying gold easier because you can just use your broker, um, whatever you use to buy stocks. So while these ETFs were around in the financial crisis, there are many more products now globally. And the ETFs in general have become a more mainstream financial asset. So you put the two together and demand for gold ETFs has just gone through the roof this year. Earlier in the week, Henry, we ran a segment about the 60-40 portfolio and and how it's been left vulnerable to volatility, especially this year with the election year and COVID. Where does this volatility and other type of markets play into the gold market? It's a very interesting question because... The people who support gold, such as World Gold Council, they say that a small allocation to gold should be in the mainstream portfolio, despite the fact that if you go to sites like Vanguard or other sites that set up a sort of ready-made portfolio for investors, they don't include gold. But a lot of people are saying a small allocation to gold should be made now in portfolios. They see holding gold as sort of a hedge against all the uncertainty in the world, and also perhaps less volatile than some of these other assets. Although it has to be said, gold can be pretty volatile as well. Despite how popular gold has become, some traditional markets like India and China haven't seen as much demand for it. What do you think this is the case? And do you think these markets will pick up at all? Yeah, it's been this fascinating divergence this year, actually, because 
you know, the biggest consumers of gold in the world, India and China, you know, they have very strong traditional affinities to gold. And they're normally the sort of motors that keep the gold market going, along with central bank buying. But you haven't seen much demand from either countries this year. You've had the impact of coronavirus, which has restricted people from going to jewellery shops and buying gold. I think in China, jewellery is picking up a bit. As coronavirus restrictions ease, people are able to get out and buy more. And what about India? So in India, um, the pandemic's also exposed a sort of longer term structural shift in the country with you know, rising financial literacy and access to products like mutual funds, prompting many to diversify their money away from gold. So it's possible that even after coronavirus, if things go back to normal in India, that that structural shift will have changed uh, gold demand for the long term. Sure. And, you know, if traditional markets don't pick up, could investors lose a lot of money here? Yeah. So the thing is that this Western ETF gold inflow that I talked about can reverse very quickly because, as I said, it's very easy to buy these ETFs. You buy them just like a stock, right? You can buy and sell incredibly easy. So it's just as much as you have inflows or just as quickly as you have inflows, you can quickly have outflows. And in the past, when gold drops, you know, physical demand in India and China does come in at a certain level because they're very price sensitive buyers. So the question now is, you know, what's the appetite for them to buy even if prices come down? You know, where will they provide a floor under the gold price if Western investors turn on gold. Henry Sanderson is our metals and mining correspondent. Thanks, Henry. Thanks so much, Mark. Before we go, the U.S. Federal Reserve said yesterday that it is extending curbs on the biggest banks' share buybacks and dividend payments into the fourth quarter. That means banks with more than $100 billion in assets. The Fed is now planning a second round of stress tests related to the coronavirus fallout. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. From a local business... A global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com/banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America NA Copyright 2024. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.